0: Welcome to the Italian Wine Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Vinitali International Wine and Spirits Exhibition. The 54th edition of Vinitali will be held from the 10th to the 13th of April, right here in Verona. To discover more about Vinitali and get your tickets, visit vinitaly.com This year, the Italian Wine Podcast will be live and in person in Pavilion 6, Stand A7. So come on down and say hello. Thanks for tuning into my new show, Get U.S. Market Ready with Italian Wine People. I'm Steve Ray, author of the book, How to Get U.S. Market Ready. And in my previous podcast, I shared some of the lessons I've learned from 30 years in the wine and spirits business, helping brands enter and grow in the U.S. market. This series will be dedicated to the personalities who have been working in the Italian wine sector in the U.S., their experiences, challenges, and personal stories. I'll uncover the roads that they walked, shedding light on current trends, business strategies, and their unique brands. So, thanks for listening in, and let's get to the interview. Hello, and welcome to this week's edition of Get U.S. Market Ready with Italian Wine People. This is Steve Ray, and uh, I'm really pleased to have have as a guest this week, Madalena Pasqua di Becheglia, did I pronounce that right, Madalena?
1: Yeah, perfectly. Thank you.
0: Or, or close. Okay.
1: Yeah. That's not easy to pronounce, so congratulations. <laughs> no, not
0: at all. I first met Madalena at Vin Italy several years ago, and I distinctly recall when I had asked her a question, tell me about yourself, and you started the conversation by saying, well, once there was a little girl, and um, really, that's kind of the intro here. Give us a little background on how your family came to buy the winery, what your role is in it, and what your philosophies were and what a challenge that might have been to get started that way.
1: Thank you for the question, Steve. So Musella is the name of an estate, not the family name. Because my father arrived in Musella almost uh, 30 years ago, having a dream, having the dream to interpret the his own uh, place. So he wanted to have a special project for the local uh, traditional wine, and he wanted to, to have something very special to represent uh, uh, his own tradition. And so he, he found this uh, incredible place in, uh, in the east part of Verona. It actually has an estate, is a sort of a national park, is a protected park, uh, where um, animals, plants, uh, houses are protected, and uh, and so he decided to establish there his own uh, winery. Involved with myself first, uh, and uh, then my mother, and, um, and then all the family, because my cousin is working here too. So it was definitely is a family business, and uh, we try to do our best in uh, in uh, keeping this place in good health and uh, keeping uh, this place available. Uh, to the people, in order to understand what is the Valpolicella area and how we were, how the traditional viticulture is interpreted here.
0: Your um, initial philosophy was biodynamic, which at the time I don't think I can say that it was revolutionary. It was certainly different and not commonly practiced there. I've met and visited and toured a lot of biodynamic producers, but I'm reminded of one particular image and I have a photograph of it. We were at your winery and we walked out into the vineyard and you said something like, Steve, here, I wanna show you something. And you stuck your hand into the soil in between the rows and the hand went all the way up to, you know, almost to your wrist easily without you know unlike when you would put a shovel in you made the point that the tilth of the soil the word in english is 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 shows you exactly what's going on in the soils and the preservation of the microorganisms and all that kind of stuff but there's a bigger uh Issue to or uh, philosophy behind biodynamics. Tell me how you first found out about it, why you've embraced it, and how you've implemented that into the wines that you make.
1: Uh, so yes, we didn't start uh, immediately because here in my in my place, uh, uh, biodynamic is not that common. People is uh, still uh, pretty strict to the the, the conventional uh, old way to have viticulture so we needed to i needed to um, to work a lot with my family uh, to um, get them closer to this philosophy and this is exactly what you say the the most important thing is to think about the soil the renovation of the soil the possibility of a regeneration of the soil that is a sort of compensation of what the agriculture can do the agriculture modern agriculture is stressing the soil and the stress in the soil, uh, you lose all the bacteria, the the microorganisms. Everything is able to make uh, the the humus, and humus uh, is uh, the fundamental base of everything. Is what is giving the food, the real food to the plant. Is what is giving uh, the the autoimmune system to the plant is able to make uh, the, to put the the plants in the condition to protect itself, uh, at least uh, for a big part. And uh, once again, what we uh, wanted to do, because my father wanted to interpret this place, was important to me to keep the place in uh, absolutely perfect health. And the biodynamic was uh, one of the fantastic way we had, uh, the fantastic possibility we had at this disposition to do it. Uh, and so um, after a bit that we i need to convince to, to let the people go into the, the 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 experience we are now all happy to follow this uh this method that is uh, working very well and it made our soil definitely more soft rich as you said uh, penetrable and so that means uh, full of air and air means uh, life and life uh, uh means uh, life, good life for everybody else. Insects, animals, human beings, plants. So it's a chain.
0: Um, yeah, a chain or circle. Yeah, absolutely. We're not going to go into the details of biodynamics. People can look that up.
1: I oh, it's very long.
0: <laughs> One thing that has happened in the U.S. in the last two years, and I'm not talking about COVID, is uh, <laughs> Hollywood celebrity Cameron Diaz came out with a wine, which she termed clean wines. She kind of coined that word. Really what it was is uh, she started off with uh, a cava and a couple of other relatively inexpensive Spanish wines that would maybe have sold for six or nine dollars at retail, but she was selling them at like 24. And she talked about clean wines and promoted clean wines. And I thought the the beauty of that was by saying her wine is clean, it means that everybody else's is not and you know by definition biodynamic i think fits in the category of natural wines clean wines and so forth so there's this kind of issue in the us about what the definition of terms mean organic is something that means something very special in the us and it's regulated by the usda just because you're organic in europe where well, the U doesn't mean that you're organic here. So talk about her thing about clean wines and how it's become very public and uh, people are talking about it and your view of natural wines produced through the biodynamic process.
1: Okay, so this is a very long, long argument and not that very easy. I mean, I try to make it very short, uh, Because it's a decade, listening to the story, organic, biodynamic, and natural. So what does it mean, natural? I don't want to stay here and explain it. that no one can be called natural when you have a vineyard, but this is a a sort of polemic. And the reason you say that is because it's a monoculture, right? Exactly. If I plant a thousand of plants in one hectare with, uh, with no other plants, that is not natural. A natural wine would be a vine in the in the forest, and I pick up one after and I'm looking for like mushrooms. So apart this, uh, natural wine means uh, normally that they don't uh, add any sulfites uh, into the wine. Biodynamic wine are uh, different because they are more. Uh, we are more worried in uh, in the soil uh, regeneration than uh, the effect because when you have a fantastic, uh, a good uh, soil regeneration, you have a lot of uh, substances and uh, natural uh, elements uh, into the wine, starting from the the Antochanis in the skin that are able to create a process in vinification, making the vinification very very easy, so we don't need to add a lot of sulfites. So we, I do, for example, add the, not sulfites but sulfur, a steam of sulfur, in a very small, small quantity, in order to have a wine able to travel. So yes, uh, this is a natural wine with a little bit of sulfur that it may make, make this wine able to travel for a long time. Then there is also an effect with this sulf, uh, sulfur because. all the life is uh, into a biodynamic wine is able to eat the bad part of the sulfur. So, for example, if you have 10 of sulfur uh, today, in six months you'll have four because the wine is able to eat it so starting from this point is a norm that if you have not uh, a very rich uh, grapes uh, a live grape uh, not very powerful in sense of life uh, it's difficult to have in the cellar uh, the possibility to work without uh, products that can keep clean the wine if you don't put any sulfates in a wine that is having a, a poor or not a very rich uh, regeneration in the in the vineyards you risk to have some bad smell or for example people is not uh, uh, making the the, the, not change very often the the place of the wine uh, avoiding the residue the the smell coming from the residues, could have uh, this kind of uh, bad smell at the beginning let's say 10 years ago it was a sort of um, identity for what it was not uh, industrial from the factory. So if it's, uh, let's say, uh, dirty, or maybe not clean, let's say that, you're sure that it's an artisanal wine and is uh, not a, a wine coming from the industrial factory or wine production. Now people is a bit tired to taste this, to accept these uh, not clean wines because they, they see people is evolved in the wild. They see you can have a natural, biodynamic, whatever is wine, Without bad smell, simply because they learn better how to do vinification, and so yes, I think in 2022 the the bad smelling wines are less acceptable. Knowing uh, even uh, when you work in biodynamic or natural wine, you can uh, have a very good result. So when you say bad smell, are you talking about
0: like Brettanomyces or...
1: Exactly. And then, but the question is, uh, what do you mean for not clean wines? We would have to open a big, uh, a big amphora, of, uh, because it depends, you know. Bread uh, is uh, not that uh, terrible if it's in a very small quantity balance with other, with other elements and a keep keeping the balance and also can make a, a richer complexity, for example. Of course, when it's too much, is uh, unacceptable. Uh, volatile, again, uh, is not that bad if it's in an acceptable rate of balance with other elements. All of this can create a lot of complexity and is not exactly a mistake, but always depends from the balance that's important, like the alcohol. you can have a very alcoholic wine, but if it's supported by a great structure is not a problem is an element making the wine richer so the 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 answer is always balance
0: so speaking about high alcoholic wines, one of the things you're famous for is Amarone. oh yeah, uh, can you tell us a little bit about the way you make amarone. And when we're done with that, we'll talk about the 13 families. But tell us uh, your philosophy on making Amarone and the alcohol level.
1: Amarone is a fantastic, amazing wine. So- wine uh, born here from a different experience Uh, the history here talk about uh, two millennium of uh, a wine history in my area and uh, the grandfather of Amarone was called uh, Recciotto and it was uh, a a sweet wine produced by drying the 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 grapes for three or four months so you reduce uh, you concentrate a lot of the sugars and you reduce the, the, the the water inside and so when you press when you Fermented it, you have a very intense and rich, concentrated must, becoming then a sweet wine. Or in the last uh, 70 years, we are able to have the Amarone because we are able to understand how, when to stop the, the when to stop the, 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 the drying process to have the right quantity of sugar. In order to have a rich, powerful wine, but not sweet, dry. Right. So our philosophy is exactly that: we like to have a dry merone with zero sugar resins in order to make a wine able uh, to stay in every kind of table and very easy in the, in the in the match with the food. We consider Amarone not a wine for after dinner, but uh, a good uh, companion for. Many kind of different food enjoyable uh, today or in 20, 25 years because having this kind of alcohol structure and um, and intensity you can uh, uh, you can stock you can age for for decades. In the right place. So
0: it's a different kind of Amarone. I personally had the chance to taste most of your wines and uh, I can vouch for that. One of the things I had the pleasure of is, is dining in the cellar at Bottega Vini and uh, having some friends there and sharing your Amarone, which is fun. Tell us about the family historica, Familia Historica and your role there in Bottega Vini.
1: 11 or 12 years ago, we decided to to found this association, putting together uh, now were 13 different uh, uh, families, uh, families related, of course, uh, of the wine production, so historical families working in the Amarone area, because we wanted to, to promote, uh, to uh, introduce the Amarone stories uh, and vinification to the world where uh, sometimes the Amarone is not, the, is not understood uh, very well. And uh, so we wanted to explain the process, the area. And so we put all together, even if we are 13, uh, located in different uh, parts of the Valpolicella area, in the, with different uh, uh, size of business, of actor, and viticulture, and also soil. Uh, so I found this very interesting because uh, we have a, a big scenarios of uh, Amarone production. And uh, so we can uh, better talk, better explain all the, the the experiences. And this group of people in, in 2011 decided to to buy uh, this Bottega del Vino, that is uh, one of the most rest- most famous restaurants in my city, in Verona, as uh, a sort of wine museum. It is very very old, talking about 500 years old. Uh, of course not in this uh, form, but uh, started in that uh, uh, in that far time. Being a place where uh, mostly we drink wine. Of course there is food now is a restaurant. It's very famous, but uh, the 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 real um, fame is uh, for the the wine list. Uh, talking about of uh, four thousand and something hundred uh, of uh, labels, uh, more than twenty thousand bottles in the in the cellar. So for who is interested in that is uh, is an amazing and unforgettable. Uh, experience.
0: Yeah, if you're ever
1: in Verona, go to Bodega Del Vino Del Vino, yes Del Vino, sorry. We were so lucky to have the possibility to to be part of this part of history and of our city. So when you're talking about the 13
0: families, one of the things I think that's distinctive about um, the Valpolicella Area is the, the presence and significance of female principals and owners and winemakers. Marilisa Allegrini is one that comes to mind. You as well, you kind of have a, a reputation in the area. Can you comment on that?
1: But right. we have many, many women now around. So even Sabrina Tedeschi, as you said, Marilisa, and um, Nadia Zanato. Let's say in every family there is a stronger, a stronger presence of uh, women because for of course we have a nice uh, sensitivity for the um, the agriculture the, the the presence of nature for the uh, relations uh, so yes uh, in verona we have many many women now it's not that uncommon it
0: it is kind of an uncommon thing i think in in the rest of the world becoming less so but this whole thing about you know diversity equity and inclusion have have you faced issues where you being a woman has been a challenge or a problem or, or presented something that you had to overcome.
1: Yes, of course. I but especially at the beginning of my experience. Uh, not now, not now, not for sure. When I was younger, especially because I was I was young and was uh, the, the the daughter of my father, you know, so it's more complicated, but no, let's say generally speaking, not that much. Okay. Let's move on to
0: uh, the U.S. market. Most of the listeners of this show are in the U.S. market and talk about some of the challenges, opportunities, and solutions you've come up with. You started with a, a national importer the, you know, the idea of uh, selling to one entity and let them manage the brand. And you, you've come 180 degrees. Tell us about why and what benefits that provides to you and the winery.
1: Uh, the, the different importers. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. talking about a winery like mine, uh, that is small and family business. Uh, what is important for us is uh, the, the, the personal approach, the human approach, the, the human uh, relation. Because we have to not to sell wine, generally speaking, but we have to sell an experience, a lifestyle, an identity, and so we need to have a, a very personal, personal contact. And so I prefer to work in uh, in different areas of the, the your country with person on the market, but sort of a family business, uh, even uh, in, the, in the import. In fact, my The majority of my importers are a sort of a family business, and so I can talk directly with the person who better understand our our goals, our results, our changement, the news. And so you create a sort of friendship more than a commercial uh, relationship.
0: Plus, I think in your case, it's not like uh, you you have, uh, I think you said, uh, 25 uh, hectares under wine, I believe, and total production is only 200,000 bottles, it's not like you have an endless supply of wine to sell. So you're not as challenged, I think, on pricing, and you can get the pricing for the wine that the wine warrants and represents. Um, And I think that gives you a lot more flexibility than somebody who's trying to sell wine at $9.99 through supermarkets. It's just not what you're all about. No,
1: No, definitely not because uh, once again I'm selling I'm selling my experience my life my lifestyle and I try to explain with my wine and my mottos uh, what we have here. So the idea is to reply the experience to be here, to smell the, 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 the atmosphere, to, to see the, the, the ladybirds, the, the butterflies, the, the, the grass and the glass. I would like to have this kind of experience. I would like the people um could have this kind of experience uh, drinking my wine. Um, it's, not a, it's not a game of prices.
0: Yeah, it's a that's a special thing. I think um, there's an element of doubt. Del-
1: Even if we are not that expensive, uh, so it's affordable.
0: <laughs> well, okay. Just to put things in perspective, the average price of a bottle of wine sold in supermarkets is ten dollars. The average price of a bottle of wine sold at wine through wine dot com e commerce if you will is like thirty eight, and that's the world that you guys are inhabiting is customers are looking for better quality wines wines that are unique wines that have an authentic story and more importantly to many a person behind it who has a, a philosophy and that's really what we're talking about here so taking that philosophy into specifics i remember once being in your winery and i have this wonderful picture of you hugging your the egg you were one of the first people to bring an egg talk tell us about that and then then we'll get into the stone, uh, the stone tanks. i love my
1: eggs Uh, Eggs are uh, the first experience I had, um, sort of uh, self-vinification. Again, what I would like to do is to transfer uh, my soil into the glass. And to do that, uh, we need to touch as less as possible, the grapes, uh, the wine, whatever. And uh, the eggs are in a shape that is able to mix, uh, to keep in the movement, the the wine and uh, during the vinification without touching it. So the wine for a, a physical events of two different volumes is able and so two different temperatures. Is able to keep moving the wine, uh, all the time, and this is uh, uh, good because it's self-filtering the wine and it's transform transforming. It's making a vinification by itself. So the only thing we do when we put the wine, the egg, is to taste it. I just had a sample from the egg, and the wine is slowly mixing, and so month after month, is keeping it clean and is making uh, every every day cleaner. And so I want I want filter it because it's self. Uh, and self-filtering.
0: This is kind of the gentle approach that uh, a lot of things that people have to do to overcome some of the challenges of uh, growing and vinifying the wine managing more naturally. Okay, so you've got the egg, great. You also had done a couple of tanks custom-made out of the Veronese stone, the typical red.
1: The Marmoroso di Verona. That is um, my idea, honestly, because I, uh, again to make the wine, to, to put the, the grapes and in the, in the wine the perfect comfort, I thought that it was important to put the wine back in the same material where they were born. And so uh, in my area, uh, my Musella is located in a place where the soil is 100% calcare and uh, uh, red clay. And the Marmorosso di Verona, the Veronese stone, is uh, calcare and uh, red clay pressed together, very compressed. And I see it was an experiment, but then when we try with a lot of uh, happiness, we saw the wine was uh, behaving definitely better. The, the self-vinification is happening uh, faster than uh, in, uh, in, uh, in a hood in or in an oak or in cement, for example. And so we are continuing now. In, um, I just received the sphere because I wanted to try with three volume, volumes. And I'm super happy, make me very excited so talk a little bit
0: more about that i, I haven't seen that, but i I, I love the concept. yeah big is it and how did you get it? How did anybody make a sphere out of <laughs> very stone?
1: I know I know It's uh, it's, uh it's, um it's my idea that i am i'm uh, I'm following this concept because it's working so first, I try with three two volumes two different volumes in the same tank let's say, and now with the sphere, I have three volumes, so I wanted to see if it will uh, create confusion or it will have, a, uh, because I also put a spiral inside uh, that in the concept of the um, golden. Like like the, the rule of thirds, you mean? The golden? Aurea, uh, si, spirale aurea. Oh, so that golden spiral.
0: Yeah. Okay. Exactly.
1: Exactly that. I do, would would uh, conduct the, the the movement of the wine in that uh, kind of circle. So I'm very curious. It just arrived. I need to to fill it up, and then I'll uh, be in Italy. I will tell you the experience. So.
0: Okay. Ooh, maybe we can taste it. And speaking of which, so reds versus whites. Whenever we talk, it seems like I'm always focused on the reds, but you you guys are pretty famous for the whites too. So you talk about the balance of reds versus whites and the different philosophies of making them.
1: Ah, uh, definitely the. Red Red is the the the, the, the biggest uh, production, so uh, red for us. But for example, is my favorite wine, even if it is the simplest, uh, because rep- better represent what we are doing here: the pureness, the fruitness. Uh, again, uh, the, the life is inside without touching it, because we don't put in oak; we just put in cement, and uh, just to make it very pure and transparent and and, um, and sincere. So we don't really we don't work that much. Uh, in the cellar anymore. We just keep uh, clean. We just keep, uh, we, we, we follow like uh, parents uh, the development of these, these guys, uh, helping in case, but uh, mostly we are there and uh, we put them in condition to have the right place to stay, the right temperature. We protect them more than uh, we work with them. So the concept is always the same make a wine that is very easy to be approached. Uh, is very digestible is healthy and make you have um, fun when you drink it and uh, not a dick when you get up. <laughs> there you go.
0: Okay. so one of the things I meant to mention about that that red stone, which you see all of all over Verona, and the arena of Verona was made with it. And you can see embedded in it is, all of these uh, ammonites and uh, prehistoric, uh, you know, fossils and, and kind of things—it's absolutely fascinating to be just walking around Verona and over in the arena and seeing all of this stuff. And I mean, 2,000 years—that's kind of been there. The arena defines Verona as a as a region, and that's how long you guys have been making wine. That's kind of fabulous. So take that back, 2,000 years. You're also working with amphorae Tell us about that.
1: Uh, look, I, I'm not a super expert because I just started. I prefer to work with marble. I feel it more in my veins. Uh, but again, I like to try everything. So I, had, uh, I have uh, three, uh, three amphoras in three different sizes, uh, and they are working very well.
0: Are you making specific wine? Are you making, for example, orange wine, or are you doing this with the like they do the kvary in uh, in Georgia?
1: I'm doing some experiments of wine without sulfites. Uh, uh, this wine won't be sell out of this uh, winery. Just uh, people who come in here because. I don't want to risk who will receive it could have some some problem. I don't think is correct.
0: Yeah, but I I applaud the creativity and the openness to do all that stuff. There's a I think a, a burgeoning interest in in the U.S. in call it natural, but you know re- reverting back to the things that historically have always worked and they've worked for a reason. So we've talked about a lot of things. I, I like to end my conversations with the big takeaway. Uh, I think a central subject in talking to you and talking about Musella Wines is biodynamics. It's still regarded as a little bit out there or a lot out there or totally unknown to most American wine drinkers. And yet you're fully dedicated to it. Where where does biodynamic fit in the American market, in your opinion?
1: As you can uh, imagine, more in the West Coast and in New York. And in um, that are the two special areas where they are more sensitive to that. It's more difficult to work in the center part of US, uh, talking about uh, biodynamic, because at the moment people is not that interested, uh, not interested, but they don't know, they don't know. So when we are in California or in Nevada or in uh, Washington or um, Oregon, everybody knows. A lot of people is practicing. Uh, and uh, it's easy. Biodynamics is now, thanks God, is now becoming uh, more and more and more popular because the people see the, the difference, can taste different and can enjoy the difference. Both buying the products, vegetable, fruit and wine, and also seeing the result on the soil. Because it's evident, it's not uh, something magic or a philosophy. Is, this is a big mistake often. People think about biodynamic like something related to the start, which, uh, strange things. But uh, honestly speaking, it's mostly an agricultural method with uh, concrete results. Then you can study during the night your stuff, but that is more a personal path. Uh, the most important thing is to talk about uh, what is going on, what is happening to the soil after a biodynamic viticulture. And so in the U.S., uh, I see this. So if you talk about in uh, California and that the West Coast are very sensitive. Uh, in New York, especially young people, is very interesting. Is the uh, also New York is developing? Honestly speaking, it's two years, I'm not putting. I'm not coming in the U.S. So I don't see the development in this month, uh, in these year, two years. So but till 2019, uh, I see in New York they were start slowly to. To be more interested into that, and the rest of U.S., in my opinion is still uh, a bit. It's also a
0: function, I think, of the type of stores that you're in, and and one of the reasons for that, your importer in U.S. is Hill City. Imports And Howard Bernstein, a, a mutual friend of both of ours, is, is getting you in the right places and on display in the right places in the kinds of stores where the people who can appreciate the wines that you guys shop at. So that's in New York, it's it's Hill City. What are your other major importers, uh, like in um, California?
1: California, California. And uh, California, Nevada, uh, Oregon, uh, Washington, Texas. Uh, and then I have uh, a guy in Florida who's uh, doing a good job. As I said, very small import there's a personal uh, relationship and uh, people is able to to explain my project and then I have a guy in Washington DC and uh, Maryland and uh, another one in Pennsylvania small things but working and then of course in Chicago
0: okay so um uh, a big shout-out, thank you, to Madalena Pasqua di Veccheglia. I really enjoyed working with you over the years, visiting your winery, and more importantly, drinking your wine and sharing it with other people. Thank you so much for sharing your time and explaining your philosophies of how you make wine.
1: Thank you, you, Steve. It's a great pleasure to talk with you, and thank you for the question. Thank you for the possibility to talk about Musella, my place, and I'm looking forward to see you again in Italy, finally. Yeah,
0: we'll be back. I'll be back. Okay, so this is Steve Ray. Thank you all for listening to Get US Market Ready with the Italian Wine Podcast. Our guest this week was Madalena Pasqua de Beschelia. And tune in next Monday. We're gonna have another fascinating conversation on the world of Italian wine. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of the Italian Wine Podcast, brought to you by Vinitaly International Wine and Spirits Exhibition, the biggest drinks trade fair in the world. For more information about Vinitaly and tickets, visit vinitaly.com. And remember to subscribe to Italian Wine Podcast and catch us on SoundCloud, Spotify, and wherever you get your pods. You can also find us at italianwinepodcast.com.